the Blaze Radio Network. On Demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Slater's America's the greatest country in the world. Thanks for being here. Hope you have a good weekend. So uh, I want to chat about Russia's meddling in the election. And we're going to talk about Comey here because this, this is the issue, right? This is the big thing, the whole Russian meddling in the election, which, by the way, is an entirely made up construction by Hillary Clinton's campaign, John Podesta and Robbie Mook, within 24 hours after she lost. This is documented on page 374, I think, of the book Shattered. Right? So they, they got all together in Brooklyn, spun an excuse for why she lost, and they came up with Russia meddled in our election. Now, Comey the other day said that there is no doubt that Russia meddled in our election. He didn't give any specifics, so we don't know how Russia meddled. We don't know how. He, said, he really said, he said, there's no doubt that they meddled. We don't know how. So I would like to know how. And the only way we can, I think, really come to the conclusion of how Russia meddled is a process of elimination. So, I mean, let's, let's just start knocking off some things that Russia did not do to affect the election. I, I know Russia did not destroy the Rust Belt over the last 50 years. Russia did not make Hillary not campaign in Wisconsin in the last couple of weeks of the campaign. Russia did not make Hillary's campaign have zero mission and purpose behind it. Russia did not force Hillary to have a private email server in her home. Russia did not suppress the black vote that turned out for Obama, but did not turn out for her. Russia did not prevent Hillary from courting the Catholic vote, which Bill Clinton told her she needed to do. I'm pretty sure Russia had nothing to do with those things that actually affected the election. And then on the flip side, I'm sure Russia for the last, I don't know, 40 years has not propped up Donald Trump and given him almost 100% name recognition in the country. Russia did not help Donald Trump be more charismatic and connect with people in a way that no politician ever has. Russia did not write the emails between people in the Democratic Party that were ultimately leaked. We could go on, right? But if you look at all the reasons why Trump won the election and all the reasons why Hillary lost the election, and you, does you yourself answer those questions? Like, why did, if you did, like, why did I vote for Trump? Or at least, why did I not vote for Hillary? 
any reason you come up with, Russia had nothing to do with it. And of course, there's zero evidence that they, you know, changed the, the vote count in any state, which is an absurd proposition. So we keep hearing that Russia meddled in the election. No specifics. Second, there is a massive, monumental difference between meddling and collusion. Russia meddling in our election is an independent move by the government of Russia. And actually, we don't even know their motives. It's interesting that people assume that they meddled to help Trump. It's just as likely that Russia obviously thought Hillary was going to win and just maybe wanted to weaken her as president when she won. But that's meddling. That is light years away from collusion. As in Trump working with the Russians as a clandestine agent to suppress votes or steal votes or make Hillary pass out at the 9-11 memorial ceremony. Whatever, right? But that is a massive jump to take from, oh yeah, uh, Russia meddled in the election to they colluded with President Trump. Totally different world. Here's the third point I want to make, and this is the main one. I'm, I'm, I'm done with this. First of all, I hope I never have to say the name Jim Comey ever again. I never want to talk about him. I never want to talk about Russia. And the good thing about it all is it's all behind us. I know he's a $10 million book deal. Um, but this is behind us. Uh, Russia collusion is behind us. All that nonsense. Even Chris Matthews came out and said, oh, well, that our, our whole narrative got blown to pieces. Those are his words. Um, and or basically, he talked, I think he said the word narrative. Our narrative has been destroyed. I think something like that. And then uh, Alan Dershowitz said, of course, there's not obstruction of justice here, so that's behind us. So all of this stuff is behind us. That's good. But I, I want to get, I want the whole country to get off their high horse with this, oh, oh, I can't believe a foreign country meddled in our elections. This was a hostile act. And President Trump is responsible. Like, stop with the fake outrage we interfere with elections around the world all the time there's a political scientist at carnegie mellon and he has documented that since 1946 not including military coups and regime changes which would be like the shah of iran not including that and not including election monitoring which is standard operating procedure we have countries come monitor our elections that's that's not that's a, that's a nothing so either extreme, right? The one extreme, which is like zero, like monitoring elections, that doesn't count. And then like the crazy extreme of military coups and regime changes, not even including those. We have meddled in the election of other countries 81 times. 81 times. Eight, one, 81 times. Right after World War II, Italy. We gave a ton of money to the Christian Democrat candidate to beat the communists. 1990 Nicaragua's elections. The CIA leaked info to hurt the Marxist candidate. We actually gave information to a German newspaper, which then the opposition in Nicaragua, Nicaragua used against the Marxist. We helped with funding and training for the Czech president, Václav Havel, to beat the communists there. Got involved in Haiti in 1986. 
1996. How about this one? This is, this is Russia. Okay. So Boris Yeltsin, uh, Clinton, like Boris Yeltsin, right? We, through the IMF, gave 10, a $10.2 billion loan to Russia right before the election, their election. And Yeltsin used that money to build new infrastructure and pay pensions and all the rest and gain popular support before the upcoming election. $10 billion? Are you... That's, that's some meddling right there. Yugoslavia, 2000. Slobodan Milosevic. We didn't want him to stay in power because of what he was doing with the Balkans and stuff like that. So we supported the opposition candidate. Gave money, training, campaign aides, all the rest. And that's why they won. So, of course, Russia meddled in our election. I'd be shocked if they didn't. They've meddled. We know for a fact they, that Russia's meddled in our election in 1950, 58, 84, and, and this one. But I, I'd be shocked if, if they didn't meddle in every other one. But so do we. All the time. Everywhere around the world. So it's not, did they? It's to what extent did it change anything? And really, the real question is, why didn't President Obama or the infrastructure that was in place, do anything to stop it. No one, no one in the FBI or CIA or whoever, no one was like, wait, what? A country? Why? To interfere in Arlo? Oh, this is the first time that's ever happened. No, what do you, no one thinks that. But we're supposed to believe that. And then take the giant, so we take the, oh my gosh, this is so unique. This has never happened before. So you go from that to, Oh, collusion. Mm -hmm. Trump collusion, back channels, you know. Yeah. Banks. Yeah, Russian banks. Mm -hmm. You know. Connect the dots. Just connect them. What dots? (laughs) All of them. How do I connect them? It's just, you do. You connect them, and then it's, it's going to be more clear. Trump colluded with KGB and Vladimir Putin to take down Hillary and become president. So that, I don't need, you know, you know the, I mean, yeah, it's obvious. Like, what are you talking about? Enough with it. I got to take a break here. I want to come back, though. I'll wrap this up with a, with a clip of Hillary Clinton saying that we should have colluded, or excuse excuse me, we should have meddled in a different country's elections. (laughs) Hillary Clinton. So the same Hillary Clinton, and you read Shattered, same Hillary Clinton who's blaming foreign meddling in this election with zero evidence that it made any impact whatsoever. I don't know a single person, a single person who either voted for Trump or did not vote for Hillary because of anything in WikiLeaks. So let's say Russia was involved with that, right? That did not change a single vote. Not a single one. So there's no way to prove the extent that this meddling had. I'm going to go with zero. But I got that a clip from the same person, Hillary Clinton, back in 2006, saying we should have meddled in a different country. I'll play that next. one 888 Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.
Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. Later. All right, so just don't don't think that any of this, any of this is new. Like, oh my gosh, Russia meddled in our elections. Oh wow, what a hostile act! And if it's so hostile, again, where was President Obama and all the infrastructure in place to stop it from happening? Or what? Anyway, uh, nothing new about it. We've always interfered in other countries' elections. Other countries have always interfered in ours. Nothing new. So first, I want to focus on us interfering with other countries. And I can, I mean, I just rattled off a bunch right there, but I can think of no better example than this clip from Hillary Clinton. So this is from January 25th, 2006. At this point, she was a senator. She was senator of New York. And she's talking in Brooklyn in, uh, uh, with a group of Jewish reporters. So she's talking to the, some Jewish press. Very small group of people. And one of the editors of a newspaper was uh, recording it with a tape recorder. And they were talking, she was talking about an election that took place in the Palestinian Legislative Council. So this is the legislature of the Palestinian National Authority. And in it, Hamas, the terrorist group Hamas, won 74 seats, which is not good. And the U.S.-backed group won only 45 seats. So Hamas won a lot, the U.S.-backed group not so good. So Hillary said, let, let's, the audio is terrible, but I want, I want to play it here just so you know I'm not making this up. And she actually said this. Here it is. I would not think we should have pushed for an election in the Palestinian territories. I think that was a big mistake. And if we were going to push for an election, then we should have made sure that we did something to determine who was going to win. Got it. Let me transcribe. She said, I do not think we should have pushed for an election in the Palestinian territories. I think that was a big mistake. Okay. And if we were going to push for an election, then we should have made sure that we did something to determine who was going to win. Sounds like meddling to me. The editor of the newspaper who was there said he was taken aback that, quote, anyone could support the idea offered by a national political leader, no less, that the U.S. should be in the business of fixing, fixing foreign elections. Okay, so that person, that gentleman, was not aware that we have interfered, we have meddled in foreign countries' elections 81 times since 1946, not including regime changes and military coups. He thought, oh, no, that never happens. It happens all the time. So here's Hillary Clinton talking about when we should have. She wanted to make it 82 times. And now here she is talking about, complaining about foreign meddling in her election. This is a quote from Noam Chomsky. This is just in January. He said, must, much of the world must be astonished if they're not collapsing in laughter while watching the performances in high places and in the media concerning Russian efforts to influence the American election. 
a familiar U.S. government specialty as far back as we choose to trace the practice. But there is one major difference. By U.S. standards, the Russian efforts are so meager as to barely elicit notice. Right? So like the rest of the world's cracking up. You got all these, like I said, politicians and um, people in the media, like, oh, they're aghast. Oh, foreign meddling. Oh, my God. He's like, the rest of the world's cracking up at you on your high horse at the, at the thought that Russia meddled in our election when we do it all the time. But the only difference is the Russia didn't make a difference at all. Barely enough to elicit notice. We actually affect outcomes. There was um, 1958. I mean, I just mentioned like five or six earlier, but here's another one. 1958, Japan. We gave one candidate intelligence on the socialist candidate. And the CIA got that information from a paid informant within the socialist party, handed it over so that the socialist guy would lose. Okay, all the time. Uh, Second point here. So, So that's us getting involved in foreign countries. How about foreign countries getting involved with us? That's happened since the very beginning. So the French interfered with the election of John Adams. Now you can talk about how much of a difference something like this makes, but the French ambassador said that if we continued our foreign policy, meaning if we reelected John Adams, then France would become an enemy to America. And that's noteworthy. And John Adams called this a quote, danger to our liberties. What a danger to our liberties. Oh, the influence of a foreign country in our election. In 1940, the Nazis leaked a Polish government document hoping to damage FDR. And the German embassy in Washington, D.C. gave a U.S. paper money to publish the document. 1984 against Reagan, the Soviets leaked or, or spread a slogan, Reagan means war across the country. All right, that was that was a Soviet uh, devised plan. Right, so heavens, we've been a few, Are you with me? I don't need to beat this horse anymore, do we? Now here's the rub of this all. This professor who documented the eighty-one times that we've meddled, he says this changes the vote by about three percent, not three percentage points. Uh, but he says there's a bunch of variables here. So you have overt meddling and covert meddling so secret meddling and he says the covert meddling is much less effective than the outright meddling so he says any foreign meddling in this election was covert which means eh, it didn't really make that big of a difference then he says that meddling in american elections is way less effective than us meddling in, in foreign elections so you get that too and then we also have the electoral college so meddling We've talked about the, the, the Electoral College during the election. And one of the benefits of it is, let's say someone adds 10 million votes to a precinct in Montana that no one pays attention to. That doesn't affect the Electoral College outcome any more than the electoral votes that Montana gets. So if you wanted to hack the election in America, you can't just add a bunch of votes in one place. You have to add a bunch of votes in many states in order to make any real difference. And that is a much steeper hill to climb. So even if meddling changed the vote one percentage point, that would be nationwide, not necessarily one percentage point in Wisconsin or one percentage point in Pennsylvania or Florida. 
this is one reason why we have the electoral college because the effect of meddling is uh, dispersed. But anyway, the point is you have to ask yourself if a voter in Wisconsin was influenced by the Russians. No. Not at all. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. I'm just I'm so so glad this is over. The whole Comey thing, the whole Russia thing, the whole meddling thing. But we don't have time today because it's only a three hour show to go over all the the months of headlines from New York Times. Everyone talking about not only Russian collusion, but Trump being under investigation, which Comey came out and said it wasn't true. All of it lies. Zero credibility left. Actually, I do want to share a story about this next. I want to share a story coming up. The most blatant example that I've ever seen. I will keep this one in my back pocket unless there's another example that comes up that's better than this. The most blatant example of, I don't even want to call it a biased media. It's even deeper than that. And it comes out of the Comey hearing. Actually, it comes during the Comey hearing. We'll share that coming up. one 888 Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show, The Plays Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Radio Network. Hey, Karen. Thanks for the kind words on Twitter. I appreciate it. Um, I want to share this video here. I think they're almost entirely right here. So I think it's worth playing. It's from Vox, which is a progressive group, but it's okay. Uh, so last week, I think last week, maybe two ago, we talked about how the news on TV is news entertainment. It's the same way that wrestling is sports entertainment. It's not, it's not a sport in the traditional sense. Remember prior to 1938, newspapers published wrestling results as if they were real, like, like, like baseball scores. And then for a couple decades after that, there was this whole guise to get people to think that it's real and people were like, oh, you know, it's fake, right? No, it's not. Finally, Vince McMahon said, all right, enough. Uh, we're not going to pretend it. We're not going to pretend it's real anymore. We're going to call it sports entertainment and we're going to crank up the soap opera parts of it right the characters the storyline stuff like that so news is the exact same way it used to be news now it's news entertainment and we should watch news entertainment with the same attitude and posture and perspective that we watch professional wrestling and probably you should watch each both as often right like however much you watch professional wrestling is how much you should watch news entertainment to be honest but we should, whatever, however much you watch it, you should watch it with the posture of this is not real. It's fine. It might be enjoyable. It might be entertaining. That's okay. Just like it's okay to watch wrestling. I mean, you know, basketball finals are going on now. That's sport. That's good. Uh, wrestling, it's fine. It's okay. Like no, no, no worries. Same thing with news entertainment. No, no judgment. If you enjoy it, I don't. But if you do, that's fine. Just know it's not real. So I want to play uh, some clips of this video here. 1523. 
If you want to understand how CNN covers Trump, you have to understand Jeff Zucker, the network's president since 2013. Zucker came to the network from NBC, where he oversaw shows like Fear Factor and yes, The Apprentice. His background is entertainment television, and to Zucker, Politics is essentially a big game. He told New York Times Magazine, the idea that politics is sport is undeniable, and we understood and approach it that way. Can't believe that's a real quote. Oh boy, you can see that approach in a lot of how CNN covers politics. Flashy countdown clocks, dramatic graphics, pre and post debate panels. It's essentially become the ESPN of politics. You a big ESPN fan? You know what? But the clearest parallel between CNN and typical sports coverage is the screaming matches. Turn on CNN and you'll almost certainly see an argument between hosts, pundits, and commentators. Turn on CNN's primetime shows and you'll see that same argument between a much bigger panel of people. Speak about that, that was it, that was it. Yeah, no, that guy, was no, what we're yelling about! These shows are clear relatives of ESPN shows like First Take, which pit commentators against each other to argue about whatever news story was happening that day. This is the problem. Hold on. This is the problem. You can actually see some pretty clear parallels in the formats and studio sets of these shows. This type of news coverage centered around pundits arguing with each other makes for cheap, easy TV. It's loud, it's dramatic, and it requires no original reporting. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, I like that last line. It's cheap, easy TV. That's all it is. It's junk food. It's junk food. That's it. And that's fine. It's good to have junk food every once in a while, but it's not a nutritious diet. Check out this quote. This is from Zucker. This is last month, a New York Times article. As Zucker sees it, he's the head of CNN, his pro-Trump panelists are not just spokespeople for a worldview. They are, quote, this is Zucker, characters in a drama. Characters in a drama. Not any different than The Rock. And I know I need more, I need updated wrestling references. Mine are all circa uh, 1999. But, uh, the rock triple H. I mean, these are just characters in a drama. That's all. And so is everyone you see on CNN. Everybody says, Oh, I can't believe you have Jeffrey Lord or Kaylee McKenney McKinney or something. I don't know how to pronounce her name. Kaylee McKinney. But you know what? Zucker told me with some satisfaction, they know who Jeffrey Lord and Kaylee McKinney are. So check out how this works every day. And I've been a part of this. What they do and in this in this video, they highlight Jeffrey Lord, but this happens all the time. So Jeffrey Lord, Trump supporter, he goes on TV in the afternoon and he says an outlandish thing. The example that they said was or they used was um, Jeffrey Lord said that that Trump is the Martin Luther King Jr. of healthcare. Like, I don't even know what that means. I've, I've, I've no idea what that could possibly mean, but it creates outrage. So what they do is then they then invite him back on two different primetime shows that same night with a much larger panel to debate it. And it takes, you know, two segments each show. That's, you know, half an hour each show. It's an hour. And what is the number one priority of TV news? What's the number one priority? We've said it a million times. Fill time. So CNN hired this guy to be, I don't even want to call it provocative because there's nothing thought provoking about that. But they hire this guy to say outlandish things. And then they just recycle it. Like, they make their own outrage. So they, he says something crazy, and then they recycle it over and over and debate it. But they manufacture their own drama on a slow news day. They made their own storyline. If there wasn't a storyline out there that was good enough, or they couldn't find 
so I, so let's say I, I don't know exactly when he said this, but probably during the whole uh, you know Obamacare light proposal. Instead of having someone on and give an actual thoughtful analysis, they went the junk food route. They went the cheap and easy way, which is to say something stupid like Trump's the Martin Luther King Jr. of healthcare. Like what could that even, like? But that filled an hour of time. It's cheap. It's easy. It's perfect. It's a big soap opera. And this is why we feel so divided. Because this is the news we digest. But it's not news. It's not real. Just the other day, a couple of days ago, ISIS killed 12 people in Iran. Did you know that? So I think it was around the Manchester terrorist attack. There were five terrorist attacks that week. Within, within seven days, there were five terrorist attacks, including one in Egypt where ISIS killed 25 Christians, I think killed 25 and injured 24 more or flipped those numbers. Either way, 25 Christians killed on their way to church. Did you know that? No, because that's news. There's no time for news and news entertainment. ISIS killed 12 people in Iran. Why? That seems odd. Why would ISIS kill people in Iran, right? ISIS is bad. Iran's bad. What's going on there? What's, what's the deal with that? They're, they're not going to cover that on CNN. Because they don't hire smart people. They hire actors. So they're not going to put anyone on to analyze it because it doesn't fit any pre-constructed storyline. It doesn't fit in the soap opera. And what a better example of the soap opera than the whole Jim Comey uh, nonsense these last couple of days. So what, he testified on Thursday, right? So all day Wednesday was the pregame show, just like the Super Bowl, right? All day before, the morning of, it's the big Super Bowl uh, pregame show for 10 hours. And then and they're like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And I always think like, well, I don't know. Just wait till this afternoon. We'll find out. Watch the game. So you have the whole pregame show. Then you have the whole show. Every single station broken. I'll tell you something. My local station, CBS. So I work at a local uh, radio station, but the TV station affiliated with us. They broke in. And some of the people on top were saying, oh, this is going to be bigger than Watergate. <laughs> what are you talking about? So they break in. And then afterwards, it was a big letdown for the media. But still, we got to fill the void. So they come up with something to talk about and they analyze. And that's, that's, it's not news. It's news entertainment. So what do we do about it? Just be a good consumer of it. That's it. And watch it if you want. It's fine. But just know what it is. Identify what's real and what's made up drama, which is meant, intentionally meant to give you nothing but a sugar high. Eat real food not TV dinners. Now, because of all this controversy the, the other day, no one paid much attention to what Ben Carson said. It got him in a little bit of trouble, but he backed it up. And I'm happy he did. We'll share that next. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on The Blaze Radio Network. generation of talk radio this is mike slater slater crusaders ben carson hasn't been in the press lately why not let's chat about him for a second actually before we do that uh there's 13 counties in alabama 
that had welfare programs. And recently they, it's a long backstory, but they restarted the work requirement in order to receive food stamps. And a couple months later, the number of people on food stamps dropped 85%. So once they reinstated the work requirement, 85% drop in the number of people on food stamps. That's an amazing drop. And it's just, it's fascinating to me how much a government program can rob someone of their motivation and really, I was going to say enable them, but really enfeeble them instead of empower. I want to talk about Ben Carson, what he said the other day. He said, part of poverty is someone's state of mind. And he said now that he's head of housing and urban development, he wants to, quote, find ways to make sure that people understand that the person who has the most to do with what happens to you is you. The person who has the most to do with what happens to you is you. Now, anti-poverty advocates, anti-poverty advocates are, are critical of what Ben Carson said because from their point of view, their perspective, under no circumstances can poverty be someone's fault. Never can poverty be, be someone's or a result of someone's own bad choices. Poverty has to be because of things and forces and people outside of your control. Even if someone deliberately, intentionally makes bad choices, knowing they're bad choices, knowing there will be consequences because of it, even then it's not their fault. It's some cultural aspect or something, that some, some oppression that caused them to do that. Right? The, the most basic language of um, you know, someone's less fortunate implies that it's all luck, right? So if you're more fortunate, it's luck. you're lucky. If you're less fortunate, you don't have luck, right? So even that, it takes out human agency from someone's condition because it has to fit in a progressive mindset. It has to fit the oppressor, oppressed matrix. So you have Ben Carson who grew up in abject poverty. His dad was a bigamist. His mom couldn't read. And he grew up to be one of the smartest and accomplished people of human history. And I'm not exaggerating. He was the first person ever to perform brain surgery on a baby in the womb. I think that puts you on the list of most impressive people ever. But he grew out of poverty, rose out of poverty. He must be destroyed. He was questioned on this again at NPR. And he didn't back down. He said, what I said is that it is a factor mindset. He said, a part of poverty can be the state of mind, poor in spirit. And people tend to approach things differently based on the frame of mind. He said, a good example would be if you were a minor league baseball player and you were brought up to the majors and you look up to the mound and you say, oh man, Nolan Ryan. Oh no, he's a legend. He's got a hundred mile per hour fastball. I'll probably not even see the ball. Well, you're probably not going to hit the ball. But if you go up to the plate and say, Nolan Ryan, he's an old man. I'm going to knock the cover off the ball. Well, you're probably going to have a much better chance. He goes on and says, so one of the things I think government can do very well is to help create the right kinds of mindset, frame of mind, by providing ladders of opportunity so people can really see what's going on around them. A lot of times, if you go to a disadvantaged neighborhood, you ask the kids, what do you want to do when you grow up? And you get about five different answers. Football player, basketball player. He says, but there's a thousand. 
You need to show people the other 995 and how to get there. And those are the kind of things that create the can-do attitude that is so important. And, and this is the key line, that for such a long time was a part of the American mindset. And there are those now who want people to think that somebody else is in control of you and that you are a victim. We want to find ways to make sure that people understand that the person who has the most to do with what happens to you is you. Beautiful, perfect, and 100% true. But again, to a progressive mind, you can't. They can't allow that to be true. It can't be based off personal choices. It can't be based off of, off of anything I did or did not do. It has to be because of some oppressor. There's some, someone, something that did this to me. Because there's no personal responsibility. He goes on and he says, he says, I know there was a recent article that says, the state of mind is caused by poverty. I totally disagree with that, right? So, so the progressives will say poverty first, state of mind second. Ben Carson says, no, no, no. Your state of mind is what can cause your poverty. He says, I think you can have a lot of people who are in poverty who are not adversely affected by that at all, who have a winning attitude and who will do whatever they need to do to be successful. And he goes on, right? So, it is so important, so important that we don't let this, this, this mindset, this ideology spread in America. That you are a victim to anything. And you would think that people would listen to a man like Ben Carson who came from the lowest of the worst poverty possible, a bigamist dad, a mom who couldn't read, and grew up to be an incredible man. And that's maybe that's an anomaly, like how low and how high, he, like how, where he started and where he ended up. But anyone else can rise the ranks too, at least in this country. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.